Hello, and welcome to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Jason Hammond. I'm here with Todd Norwood. Hello, and welcome back. So today we're going to talk a little bit about low back pain, primarily because it's a really common injury for cyclists, but also just a very common injury across the population. Uh, If I remember the statistics correctly, I believe the lifetime prevalence for low back pain is about 80%. So chances are either you yourself have experienced low back pain, and I'm almost certain that you know somebody who's experienced an episode of low back pain. And this is uh, almost a part two to the knee pain. Is that correct? Yeah, it goes. It goes with it. Similar, similar theme of diving in and discussing some of the common causes of low back pain in a cyclist, and discussing maybe some possible remedies. Same disclaimer as well. Right? You should, you know, take this for what it is. But at the end of the day, you know, if you do experience some low back pain, these are some suggestions but certainly not formal medical advice. You know, you need to have somebody evaluate you, whether that's your doctor, physical therapist, chiropractor, whomever the medical professional is who you seek advice for on these things and have them look at it before you actually decide the correct solution. That was very legalese. You even had the fast talking, you know, like in the car commercials. Got to say it. Uh, I think PT is, of course, licensed by state. So, you know, some could interpret this as being physical therapy. I've, I've seen it happen. I've heard of it happening. So. And so you're declaring it as not. It is. This is simply a conversation about what's, what's going on, what leads to it, and what possible solutions may be. So I have a bit of a funny story, I guess. Uh, when we were preparing for this episode, Todd said, I could talk about lower back pain in my sleep, as if it's a big part of your industry. And all, all I thought was, um, you know, does your wife wake you up in the middle of the night and say, Todd, you were talking about lower back pain again in your sleep? Like I need to, I, I have to go to work tomorrow. Can you, can you please can, stop? Can you stop talking about low back pain? Uh, not, it's not that bad. At least she hasn't told me as much, Okay. Uh, but it is an incredibly common condition, especially for physical therapy. We see a lot of patients who are experiencing low back pain. And so I think over time we get fairly good at, you know, managing it, treating it. Um, although I will say, you know, low back pain across the board is a very expensive condition. And I think that points to the fact that on the whole, as a medical profession, we're not amazing at treating it just yet. I think it's still still learning, still sort of uh, peeling back the onion, if you will. So let's get started. So look, you're on you're on a bike. You're you're flexed forward for however long it is that you choose to ride, depending on your discipline. Your back wasn't really meant to be quite like that for so long. We usually walk around upright. So we're already putting some some strain on your back. It's different forces relative to gravity than you're used to in standing. Uh, there's also range of motion requirements. So I'm really going to split this out into two classifications for back pain, uh, just on the way that we think about it as physical therapists. So you know there are more than two classifications for low back pain, but the ones that would be pertinent here. Um, and we're going to throw trauma out the window, just like we did with the knee episode. That's a different, that's a whole different ball of wax, uh, is basically two things. So low back pain with mobility deficits. And so this means there's some deficit in flexibility somewhere along the way. So this is the person who you say, Hey, can you bend down and touch your toes? And they get about halfway there and say, well, why can't you go any further? Oh, my back hurts. So that's, that's that sort of a presentation that you'd think about, um, simplified a bit, but then on the the other presentation, I think would be more common in cyclists is what we would call low back pain with movement coordination deficits. So that's a really big uh, mouthful of words, but what we're getting at with that is 
in essence, the, the muscles that control the movement around the low back aren't functioning in sync. So there may be pulling in an incorrect way. Some may be engaging more so than they should relative to others. And as a result of this movement coordination deficit, this is a contributor to low back pain. So one is almost a static issue and one is a dynamic issue. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's, you're really looking at which one is the primary driver. And it's not that you couldn't have, you know, both factors at play for your particular low back pain. And you could move from sort of one classification to another, right? You could be somebody that's initially limited by mobility. You address that mobility, but now the muscles aren't functioning appropriately. So now the primary limiter for you is the movement coordination deficit. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and so you can you can move you can move dynamically across these classifications as a patient. Of course, our goal as in PT or other professions is to get you out of these classifications in general, right, and get you healthy. So let's start with just mobility deficits. I think that's the most straightforward, and this is the one that I often tell my patients. Well, look, we weren't all meant to be gymnasts. We're not all going to put our palms flat on the floor when we bend forward and keep our legs straight, but a normal healthy back should be able to bend forward, right? You should be able to bend down if you need to. Uh, and so thinking about this in the context of biking, I said, all right, well, you're, you're bent over your bike. How low your handlebars are relative to your saddle is going to be a factor here. Um, of course, the upper body, the flexibility of your shoulders, all that's going to play a role. And really what it is about is the pelvis being this point on the seat and the other two contact points, the handlebars and the pedals. Okay, so if your seat is high and your handlebars are relatively low, that bend has to come from somewhere. Someone's gonna come from the, the shoulders, someone's gonna come from the lower back. And it's at a certain point, and everybody's a little bit different, your lower back doesn't wanna bend any further. And we have this concept in the spine of a, a neutral spine. So that's sort of the spine where it's in the middle of the range of motion. And generally with joints, spine included, they're going to be happier to be in a position for an extended period of time near the middle of range. So if your handlebar is really low and your seat is hot, relatively high, then your spine's going to be near its end range of motion. And after a while, it's not going to be happy about that. So you say, well, what, what do I change, right? How do I Obviously, obviously, you adjust your fit maybe and bring the handlebar up or seat down if that's appropriate, um, or you can adjust the body. And so the things that can move about the pelvis there are the hamstrings being a big factor, right? Because that's going to tend, if your hamstrings are tight, that's going to tend to want to pull your pelvis relatively posteriorly, so relatively straightening the spine on the saddle and therefore making the spine bend more. So if those hamstrings have better mobility, now the pelvis can rotate further forward and that's gonna allow the spine to be closer to its neutral position. That makes sense? So um, it seems like um, if, if you have posterior chain tightness, your hips can't rotate forward enough to have a short distance to the handlebars from the saddle. Correct. And so, uh, right, alternatively, like your position of your saddle, right? If you made your saddle nose up, you probably wouldn't rotate your pelvis forward because you'd squish your sensitive soft tissues and that wouldn't feel great. And therefore to reach your handlebars, you'd have to flex more from the spine. So it's, it's just thinking of the spine as a joint uh, as opposed to just this static object and realizing that it should 
stay in its its neutral position and uh things like tight hamstrings i think tight glutes as well mm-hmm. can um rotate your pelvis backwards uh, i've i've definitely seen cyclists who have this like tucked butt mm-hmm. uh phenomenon and so that's probably a decent indication that you might be a candidate for this issue yeah i think that's a, a fair a fair starting point at least i'd say like well does your back hurt well what's your you know what do your hips look like what does your spine position look like on the bike and you know you'll with that position if you look at the pelvis you'll see that the pelvis is relatively vertical and then once you get above the pelvis then the spine flexes forward right and depending on how far right it can be a pretty big difference in the angle and i would expect if your spine is near a neutral position the angle of the pelvis and the angle of the lumbar spine lower back there are very similar to one another there's not a big difference between the two and so people who have lo- some people who have lower back pain you'll see like a a prominent arch in the lower back mm-hmm. that's and so right. and that's like excessive bending yeah that's uh you know it's more forward flexion than you would expect because naturally the lower back in its neutral position is going to have the convex part of the curve is going to be anterior it's going to be towards the front of the body so if that convexity is posterior we say clinically that you've reversed the lordosis which is just the term for convexity forward and so you've reversed the lordosis and again after a a time you're probably going to become uncomfortable and everybody's a little bit different like some people have an amazing tolerance for being in this position others not so much some folks you get them flex forward like that and two minutes later they're they're going to tell you about it I know a lot of, it seems like a lot of pros have um, a lot of lower back forward flexion. And it's interesting because you always see them standing up, sitting down. They always have a lot of curl in their lower Mm -hmm. back. And um, if you could, can you tell us a little bit about the opposite issue, which is you? some people maintain that concave shape. Well, and even accentuate it, right? And it's almost like the sway back, if you will. It's really accentuated curve there. And so that's the pelvis being relatively anterior tilted or you know so your your hamstring flexibility is probably reasonable if you're able to maintain that position um but it may be your hip flexor mobility that's possibly limiting you because your hip flexors do have an attachment to the front of the spine and so as you reach down towards the bottom of the pedal stroke potentially there's not enough give in the hip flexor to be able to extend all the way into that position and it pulls your spine forward pull your yep exactly Uh, The other thing that that's actually I see as being common with is with the other um, side of the coin here with the movement coordination deficits, because when you get into that position where the the posterior convexity is really accentuated, mechanically what happens is the joints, so there's five lumbar vertebrae and they have joints between each one, each pair has joints between its neighbors. And so what happens as you get into that position of excessive lordosis is that mechanically those joints actually lock. The, the spine becomes stiffer in that position. So if you can't produce the stability from the core musculature engaging to keep the spine stiff and rigid in a neutral position so you can produce the power, if you drop into that excessive lordosis, now mechanically your back has become more rigid because of the anatomy of the joints there and so that can give you that rigidity that steps in and you know takes the place of a good core function 
And so is that the feeling when you get off the bike at, you know, at the water break and you stand up straight for the first time and you feel like the stiffness in the spine? Is that that phenomenon? Uh, it can be that, certainly. I mean, that, that pain is usually very, very localized, like, right? Like a, we describe it like as a band-like pain sort of across the back. Um, sometimes these folks will want to bend forward, right? Like you're thinking like, oh, I've just been on the bike and I want to straighten up. And these folks, they've effectively like been standing up really, really straight while on their bike for the last x amount of you know hours and now they actually want to bend forward and this is relieve um, that pressure this is people whose spines are like coming forward the lower back is coming forward towards the handlebars that's right that's right and, and the that con the concavity is and sort of posterior yeah. and i guess another hint if you're looking to see if you're kind of a candidate is uh if you have this like beer belly effect on the bike it mm-hmm. can be your your lower spine is um, curving inwards and also standing if you have a beer belly effect it could also be the same lower spine curvature um, yep. pushing in forward and so you're saying that maybe the psoas or one of the hip flexors that connects to the spine is pulling the spine forward is that the most common yeah i mean i guess it could be either of the muscles the you know iliacus or psoas right because uh, psoas is dire- directly connected to the spine and onto the femur but then iliacus is attached to the pelvis. So, you know, in theory, it could also cause the pelvis to be rotated anteriorly. And as a result, then the spine would be likely to follow. So because the if you have anterior pelvic tilt, the spine's going to have to come forward too because it's rigidly connected to yeah, the it's, pelvis. Yeah, it's connected to the pelvis. And yeah, right, there is a joint there. But at some point, once the pelvis starts to move, the spine wants to follow it. Sure. And, and I guess another another way to look and see if you have this issue is, um, is your forward fold, you can look at the way your spine bends. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. And so, you know, I guess there's sort of a, do you, well, I talked about, do you reverse this lordosis? So if you bend forward, does your, your spine should, in a healthy spine, your, it should round a bit, right? And so it should be convex posteriorly. Um, where you can sort of, if you put your hand back there, you'd feel the, the prominence of the bones um, rather than feeling the hollow between the muscles when the spine is convex. So concave, sorry. Um, so yeah, you can tell if you like, do you reverse lordosis or do you not reverse your lordosis as you bend forward? And I would expect that you, so you should be able to, is the normal function that you bend and the spine, spine flexes it, it moves to this concave, concave anteriorly, and then you come back up and now you're back into neutral concave posteriorly, but you don't necessarily spend your whole bike ride, you know, concave anteriorly or in, you know, reverse lordosis. Yeah. And, and this reverse lordosis is an also, also an issue a lot for weightlifters. They all have this curvature in their back. Um, is that related to not having enough core strength on the front? So you start to engage some of the back muscles that connect the rib cage to the pelvis. So I'd say a lot of it, right, you, you use your lats a lot, and that wants to pull you into that position. Um, you know, potentially, if your hamstrings or your glutes are shortened, then it's going to want to pull that pelvis posteriorly and okay. then pull you into that position. Um, but both, both of those things uh, you might see. Okay. And uh, so is that that's static or is that... What have we gone over so far? The static? So primarily the static, right? Which is more the flexion based or, you know, bend. you're in a posterior pelvic tilt, but then flex at the spine. Um, 
You could, I would say it's less likely to be purely a mobility deficit, in my experience, when the rider is in this um, excessive lordosis. So they're really the concavity of their spine is posterior. I'd say that I tend to associate more with the movement coordination deficit. Okay, when they when it curves too much. Well, I guess it depends on which way you're saying it's curved. It curves like backwards towards uh, the rear wheel. So that's more, so that's the mobility deficit, I would think. That's hamstrings Okay. not being flexible enough. If, you're, if the curve is more anterior towards the front of the bike, I'm thinking that's more likely to be due to movement coordination deficit. Okay. Because you, in the world of movement coordination deficit, you're not able to use the muscles functionally to stabilize the core, stabilize the spine. And right, if you can't stabilize the spine and pelvis, then it's really hard to produce power because your pedals are pushing back up against you. Yeah, so what's, what's actually happening in this muscle coordination deficit? So in, in essence, you're not controlling the vertebrae. You're not, you're not giving the stiffness to the spine. So it can be any number of things. And we kind of use it as a, a bucket term to say, well, you have adequate mobility, right? I check, checked off that box and said like, well, yep, you can touch the floor. You can do this you can do that. You don't have a restriction in your overall mobility. However, you're still having back pain. And usually we can identify there's some deficit in strength although technically if it's purely a movement coordination deficit you'd say well your strength is actually fine it's just you're not adequately accessing it okay right or you're not fun you're not using it functionally for your activity and could part of that issue be that the muscles aren't the correct length that could certainly play a role um although i think that we you'd then possibly put in the um you know movement deficit bucket Mobility well, deficit. I guess I'm thinking, you know, if your saddle's too high mm-hmm. and, you know, say your hip flexors are the correct length, but your saddle's so high that suddenly they're too short to accommodate the position. Okay. Fair. Um, or, Fair. Okay. or, you know, thinking saddle too low, saddle too far back is your, you know, is your fit improper to not allow these muscles to be the correct length on the bike? Okay. No, okay. That's a fair, that's a fair thing. I was thinking purely sort of from an anatomical standpoint, right? Yeah. You, you off the bike. Yes, you can do all these things, but sure. That makes perfect sense to me is you are perfectly fit. You can perfectly fit being like healthy. Um, your mobility is good. Your strength is good, but then your positioning on the bike is such that you're at a disadvantage because this muscle is being put towards the end of its range. And therefore, you've created some imbalance somewhere along the way. And that's definitely, a, a, I'm sure that's a known phenomenon because I've met people and I've even had some of this experience myself of like, I feel good, I feel fresh, I have energy, but the power won't go into the bike. Mm-hmm. And, and it's almost like the bike isn't set up right for me to put power in. And so see see what our fitting yourself or professional bike fitting episodes to see if you need to move your move your seat around or yeah, and I figure mean, out how to get your body in the right I position. Just, if you're, I don't know, I think that's a, the stationary turn is a great place for some of just that, some of that input. And right? so you can focus on the feel. Like if your seat might be too high, if you don't feel you can reach the bottom of the pedal stroke with any force, right? And you can just sit, it's hard, sometimes maybe harder to tell on the road because you have moving pieces, whereas the trainer static input, you, you can really sit and you can concentrate on those things and sort of be, be aware of that as opposed to the world moving around you. 
Another good point about being on the trainer is the, the if you have a static trainer, you you don't get the give of the road, mm-hmm. and you you can notice your hip rocking more because your bike isn't allowed to move under you. Yep. I I remember Jens Voigt in his last few seasons really moved the bike under him, and that's I don't know generally not a good thing, but it's it could have been a mobility issue and. What you end up doing is you push the bike out of the way each pedal stroke in order uh-huh. to get to the bottom of the stroke. And when you're on the trainer, your hips just rock. You yep. try to get up to higher cadence with bad mobility or bad bike fit on the trainer. It's really hard. Uh-huh. But on the road, you can sometimes get away with it. And it's because you have more degrees of freedom for yep. the bike to move. Bike moves underneath you. Absolutely. So, okay. So thinking about the movement coordination deficits, right? And I'd say the compensation, like we said earlier, is you're going to end up in this sort of excessively extended or you know posterior concavity of the spine. Uh, that's going to be where you're going to end up because that's how you're going to get the rigidity that you need to put power down into the pedals. Um, it's just that's the easiest the easiest way, and then you're going to end up with a you know decent power output and a sore back. Yeah, you're just letting the joints like lean on each other. Yep, that's exactly it. You're sort of abutting them next to each other to get that additional rigidity that your core is not providing. So I think that the idea that, well, you're actually you know in good shape and healthy, but your bike is fit in a funny way, and that's you know making you do that, totally makes sense. Uh, sometimes a good test for this is how long can you hold a plank for? Um, 60 or 90 seconds, depending on how low your bars are relative to your saddle, is probably a good starting place. And and these people that tend to have this deficit, if you watch, they'll drop right into that position where the back is very concave. And that's how they're going to do the plank. Like, oh, yeah, I can do a plank for nice. I can do a plank as long as you want me to. And then if you ask them to get the back into a neutral position, they say, oh, I, I can't. This is hard. What do you what are you asking me? This is how you do a plank. Yeah, so going over plank, how the plank should be done, you need to kind of push the lower back up. Mm-hmm. If you if you are the type to have this concavity in your lower back, you should be pushing the lower back up so then it's flat and also lifting your upper back. That was something that I did before I got more into mobility work mm-hmm. was my I would throw my shoulder blades together too much and yeah, let my okay. chest mm-hmm. drop. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you also have to lift the upper back. Yeah, and I think about almost like bringing the the pelvis sort of up towards the sternum just a little bit for the to take care of the lower back and kind of manage that alignment there um just like it's tucking your pelvis a little bit it's giving a little bit of a posterior tilt to your pelvis relatively speaking yeah because that'll pull your spine because that's gonna yep get the spine for some people it's gonna get the spine closer to neutral yeah and uh another cue for plank is pushing your the top of your head and your heels apart Mm mm-hmm and that, because if you think of, you know, a, a drawbridge or not a drawbridge, you a know, sus- a, suspension bridge, yeah, a monkey bridge or like I'm thinking the playground thing. Okay. Um, Some of us think about the Golden Gate Bridge, but whatever. It's all good. So, uh, it, you know, if you pull the two ends apart, the middle gets yep. taut. And yep. so if we think of our spine as the middle and we pull the ends, it should lift up yep. if you are the type to have your, your lower back drop. Yeah. So I think that's a that's a good little test for you for sure. And you uh, said 60 to 90 seconds is what you should be holding neutrally to, yep, se- to good, rule out, you know, core weakness. Yep. That's a good, at least a good starting point. And look, if you do ultra endurance riding, then it's, it needs to be longer than that. And if you do, you know, track riding and short sprints, then it probably doesn't need to be as long, but you probably need to have some load on it. Right. Just because the demands are a little bit different. 
Yeah, that's interesting. There are definitely different criteria for, uh, you know, shorter event riders. Yeah. So, you know, just depending on the, the style of riding, you'd probably want to match that somewhat. But I think for, for general, if you're doing crits, you're doing road races of, you know, typical length, then 60 to 90 seconds is a pretty good uh, indication of either you have adequate strength or you don't. And that's something for you to work on. And I, I think one thing that is really common to fall into, and I've definitely done this, and I know probably everyone listening has done this, is almost not being able to admit to yourself that you have, you know, this problem that you have. And I'm sure, you know, you, oh, I can hold it for 60 seconds. And it's only when you have someone objective or someone who's trying to almost get you to fail, do you realize, oh, Maybe I don't have have quite the core strength to do this. I think that the human mind is really good at confirming our opinions. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really common for cyclists to say there's nothing wrong or I don't need to work on my mobility or I don't need to work on my core strength. And so if if you're just there by yourself and you're looking in the mirror, you don't say, oh, my my back's concave. Yeah, you look at your clock and like 10 more seconds. I'm almost there. I'm going to suck it up. But if you get someone who who can be objective and say, no, your spine really is, you know, concave or uh, no, like you can't touch your toes because you're bending your knees or, you know, someone who can kind of call you out, it, it can be a good way to force you to admit, okay, maybe I need to work on these things. Yeah, that, that accountability goes a long way, right? And the, the outside observer goes a long way yeah. in, in keeping you honest. And I think you know, for a lot of people they tend to do the plank wrong just generally across the population you know, enough people have said hey can i see you do a plank and look at it, I'm like well that's okay but you know change your spine here and, oh that's a lot harder and, well yeah because but i do planks all the time like, you do incorrect planks all the time yeah and so that's my actual trip i've heard you give this uh this plank test before and i I almost disagree with you because of the ease of doing it incorrectly. And mm -hmm. it probably works if you have a client in, you know, in your uh, PT studio and you can look at them and you can critique them while they do it mm -hmm. and you can show them, look, you're shaking already if you hold the correct position. But I think someone doing it at home, they're it's it's a lot tougher to be objective like that. And to be yeah, to be honest about it unless you you have some experience with it, right? You have somebody yeah. to to keep you honest or I mean, yeah, take a picture of yourself, take a video of yourself, something like that. To be yeah, able to, you know. and I think the other thing to realize is you probably don't have the core strength unless you've been working on the core strength. It's not one of, it's not really one of those muscles that gets strong on its own. So don't expect to just show up and do you know sixty seconds of plank if you haven't done a plank in two years. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, and I think cycling we almost can get away with it a little bit compared to other sports because it's it's in one plane we're holding on to the bar like we've taken a lot of variables out of the world our legs just need to go and you can you can get away with it for a, for a while if your legs are strong your you know cardiovascular system's strong whereas i think if you look at other sports they're more dynamic there's no way somebody that throws a discus could get away with a weak core I mean, it just it just, it just couldn't right because well if to, you were a beginner for your whole yeah. life you know yeah sure to, but to it, start to, to produce to get, power yeah because be you have to you have to connect the lower body and upper body uh or you know if you looked at uh any really any throwing sport any racket sport you you have to connect and get that force coming from the ground up into your hands and if you can't connect that with the core you're not ever going to be very successful 
Yeah, and I'm even thinking uh, like baseball, like a pitcher, mm-hmm. a batter. Yep. Even um, like soccer, just the rapid accelerations back and forth. Tennis, yep. same thing. Change, yep, change of position. Change. Yeah. So I think we're cycling. Well, we don't have to transfer. Right. The power transfer basically goes from our legs into the pedals, and that's that's it. Right. And there's nothing that gets, ever gets transferred to our hands. Really, um, the steering action is light. But what we have to remember is the. You know, for each force, there's an equal and opposite force. Mm-hmm. So this force we push down into the pedals, and there's actually a lot of variability in the power throughout the pedal stroke. Mm-hmm. So you'll have, you know, 700 watts at three o'clock, and you'll have 100 watts on the opposite side, and um, well, on on the uh, the dead, yep. the dead bottom or dead top, and. When you're pushing down with that maximal force, you're also pushing up with That's that right. maximal force. And if you aren't engaging your core, aren't if you aren't resisting that upward force, it it does get dissipated into you know into your joints, into your hips. It moves around. It comes out through your hands, and mm-hmm. it it goes away. But if we could actively resist it, you know, it's the difference between pushing you know pushing a block on on ice or like you're you're on ice skates and you're mm-hmm. trying to push something versus being you know, in your gym shoes on a concrete floor and mm-hmm. how much more grip you get on the concrete floor to push this block is like if you can squeeze your core and push against that upward force on the pedal stroke. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've talked about this before, but you know, if you're, if you're curious about this or you just want to test this phenomenon for yourself is go somewhere flat sprint for 10 seconds. Just give it, give it everything you've got. Just do whatever, whatever you do right now. And then take a little, take a little rest, a couple minutes Come back, do it again, and really engage your core. Really make a conscious effort to engage your core. It's different. You you will notice a difference. I think at least I think most riders will notice a significant difference. And engaging your core is like squeezing in your belly button. Yeah, that's one way. To, that's one way to do it. That's a that's a debate among the rehab profession of whether you use the the drawing in technique or you use sort of the alternative technique, which is more like pushing out against. Uh, against the pressure so okay so one is i i can get the pushing out you know just sitting here Mm -hmm. and then the other one would so i guess whatever is whatever works for you i'm more on the pushing out sort of uh um side of the house but the the drawing in thing i think is a nice cue because it's it's, i think easier for people to do it's a really easy cue you're like okay yeah i can i can do that thing whereas this pushing out takes a little bit more but what I always tell folks is like, so if I was going to punch you in the gut right now, what would your reaction be? And usually they it's get the that, like push. you're going to push out. You're not going to cur- curl in, right? You're going to push out to protect. And that's that's sort of the engagement that you want. Yeah. So let's go over sort of, um, okay, I have lower back pain. We discussed some of the potential reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like the first step is to fix the mobility issues. So we've definitely talked about this before in other episodes, mm-hmm. but, you know, looking at not just your linear, like forward, you mm-hmm. know, posterior, anterior mobility, but, you know, your adductors, butterfly stretch, your glutes, mm-hmm. um, all over your muscles, uh, even if they're out of plane, if you have low flexibility out of plane, it can affect your in-plane movements, you know, if they're tight enough. Yeah. And you have to remember that all these muscles don't cross across the joint in this linear fashion. 
and they, they cross across the joint and they have multiple actions even if the muscles you know primarily an extensor of the hip it's also going to rotate the hip a little bit it's also going to you know ab or adduct the hip a little bit potentially just depending on where it is relative to that hip joint so you know muscles have a major action right like oh well the quads extend the knee like yeah that's true muscles also have a minor action and so like Jason's saying, some of these other muscles, like, oh, well, it's an adductor. It only brings my thigh in towards my midline. Like, well, yeah, but uh, it's also going to extend your hip a little bit too. So you need to take that into consideration. And I was actually doing some research on this um, with OpenSim, which is a biomechanics software. And I noticed that adductors throughout the pedal stroke don't have a lot of total motion mm-hmm. throughout the pedal stroke, but, you know, they are commonly sore on a lot of cyclists. Mm-hmm. And so, this thing doesn't really change length very much, but it still gets fatigued and it's because it does, you know, isometric stabilization mm-hmm. and it's, it seems like it's only supposed to move your knee inward, but it can also help stabilize the knee on the downstroke. So it's not just your quads. It's not just your glutes. There's all of the muscles are all working in harmony. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, so step one, check your flexibility in all these areas. It's pretty obvious when you're not flexible because you get, it you know you can feel the muscle is unhappy to be stretched Mm -hmm. and that usually is a good indication that you should pay more attention to this muscle and uh, you know add that in i recommend doing two or three times a day three is preferred but you can get away with two i do three sets of 30 seconds per muscle that i want to work on and you know do that in the morning do that in the evening and you, you can do that for a week and notice huge, huge results. I know PTs say four to eight weeks for, you know, progress mm, on. Well, it depends. Stretching, I think that's more strengthening. Stretching, stretching is some about convincing your body that it's okay to go that far. And convincing your, your nervous system and everything that it, you know, your leg can go that way or your back can bend that far. And that's really like time that, under That load. happens. Right. And it happens pretty quickly, right? It's just like resetting a threshold really yeah so it doesn't you know the first time you stretch you're not going to magically be able to touch your toes but this is also not well you need to stretch every day for the rest of your life so you can so you can touch your toes sort of a proposition i think you know a week or two if you're consistent with it you'll you'll notice a difference and and that's really the trick is being consistent with it if if you make one or two days worth of progress and then you sit off it for a week you're gonna go right back yep so remembering to do it every day or every other day even is going to start to get you there. Yeah, I mean, I think the, just doing just doing a little bit every day is, is Those better. are always like the hardest things to do. I remember when my coach gave me 10 minutes of core for, you know, three times a week, I, you know, half the time I would just wouldn't do it because that's the worst amount of time to give anyone to do something is 10 minutes. And, you know, you don't want to do it right after you work out. You don't really want to do it right before. You're not really going to do it at bedtime. Right. You're not going to do the first thing you wake up in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that for any athletes. Just give them a 30 minute, you know, core and stabilization balance work and just flesh out the workout more. So it's a real proper workout. And yeah, 10, 10 minutes, it's easy to make excuses. Like, Oh, I'll do it. It's only 10 minutes. I'll do it later. Do it tomorrow, and then it's midnight. That's right, days over. So, uh, so yeah, mobility. We we've talked about this multiple episodes. See the stretching episode, flexibility, um, hip mobility. Yep, and uh, basically hip mobility. Anyhow, yeah. So if if the mobility is good, now we're just talking about the interaction of the muscles. How Mm -hmm. do we 
get all the muscles to work together in a happy way if you know they're currently dysfunctional so usually with that you got to start simple like you know got to walk before you run sort of an idea and you know you have to really be able to a keep your back in the neutral position right that's the first thing so i think we have to make two assumptions before we say like yep you really need to work on your core as the solution right assumption one is you fix the mobility assumption two is your bike is fit reasonably okay great check those two boxes now let's talk about core Um, because if out of those two boxes isn't checked it's harder to say that core is the absolute issue uh so with that you know you start with simple exercises you know start on your back you know very simple you know just engaging the core getting that sensation of what it feels like to engage the core um said like more getting the pushing out and the drawing in in my in my worldview but it, so is, lay on, it is what it is lay on your back and bend, uh, bend imagine your, you're gonna get punched yeah yeah bend your, bend your knees get your feet flat starting there and then progressing to maintaining that position that neutral spine position and then picking up one foot and then setting it down pick up the other foot set it down repeat you know and keep again keeping that neutral position progress that to doing that with your feet but reaching your feet further out so you have a longer lever and thus more force that the spine has to or the muscle has to resist to keep the spine neutral then add in your arms with that then move up to quadruped arms legs do that progression again so on so forth move into a plank then uh, right, you're, just, you're just changing you're changing the leverage and you're changing the amount of support so if you're laying on your back you, you know, much of your body supported it's not a very big ask of the muscles and then you add some movement and that's i think that's the other piece that's important for cycling is stabilizing with leg movement is the key right that's the thing that we need to be really good at and that's the very specific skill that's unique to cyclists is i need to stabilize my trunk and move my legs and you know i probably need to stabilize my trunk and move my legs fast while producing some force so like you're basically working up you're working through a progression to that ultimately so it sounds like something like mountain climbers is the the pinnacle of this. You're, yeah, you're kind of a mind reader. Uh, that's what I was going to say. Is, yeah, okay. At the end of the day, is like, yeah, can you do can you do solid mountain climbers? Keep your spine neutral. And so mountain climbers is hands on the ground, it's a plank kind of, position to start, um, basically, like straight arm plank, right? Yeah, uh, not elbow plank. I guess we should have uh, clarified. Yeah, okay. There's plank. Plank is open for interpretation. So previously, were we talking about elbow plank? Does it make a difference? Okay, so uh, so I would argue that actually it does slight, right? Because re- isn't elbow plank gra- harder? Yeah, relative to gravity, your spine is more okay. close. Closer gravity is closer to perpendicular to your spine when you're on, on elbows. Yes. Therefore, it should be harder. We'd have to calculate that, but we're not going to go there. Yeah. Okay. So if but definitely for mountain climbers, is, you have to be on on there's hands. Not space there's just your, not enough space. Yeah. Correct. So if you're on your hands, you if you're on like a hardwood floor, you could do towels underneath your feet. Mm-hmm. And if you're on a carpet, you can do just pick your feet up or yeah. or the sliders, right? The little furniture moving. Yeah. Deals. So the um, or even pieces of cardboard can work. Okay. On uh, That's the the budget. Yeah. The furniture uh, furniture movers are useful little things, right? You never know when you're gonna need to move a piece of furniture. And as cyclists, we would hate to have to use our arms. So <laughs> it's uh, it's also a good opportunity to spare your muscle mass. So you, you put them under your feet and you slide them back and forth kind of in a cycling motion. Yep. And I think the big trick here with all of the, the, the entire progression, one, don't try mountain climbers right away because you probably... Probably get it wrong. Yeah, probably can't handle it. Um, I probably can't handle it even. Um, 
I act like I'm, you know, somehow better than the listener. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. Um, but the the point is to slowly progress from the beginning of this, making sure I assume your spine and your pelvis don't move at all. Right. You want to keep that steady. I think if you were to walk into a you know, like a boot camp class or something where people are doing mountain climbers, you'd see all sorts of spine and pelvis motion going on. And I guess if the goal is to start sweating, that's your thing and you don't, you know, do a ton of exercise outside of that fine uh but you know specifically if your goal is like i want to produce more watts on my bike how do i specifically train my core to do that well then great do mountain climbers but your pelvis better not be moving because the you know you're just training yourself to move your pelvis and getting on the bike and doing that's not going to be productive yeah and even you know if you don't if you let your lower back move you let your pelvis move you might as well just ride your bike yeah, like don't, it's, it's know, the exact yeah, same. There's motion. no, there's no point. Like you're not, you're not gaining any advantage. You're not improving anything. And you, if the goal is to improve that function, or you know, if your back is hurting while you're riding, and you, you know, come to this conclusion, like, well, yeah, I think it's definitely a core strength issue. Then you want to be, you know, prescriptive, and you want to be precise about how you go about building up the strength and doing the training. So you know, practice like you want to play. You know, perfect practice makes perfect. However you think about it uh, so you get the desired result and i talked to todd about this i this is the actual end of the progression and this is from i think peter sagan posted this on instagram he had handlebars connected to a wood plank with a small piece of wood underneath the wood plank and what it, it basically made the handlebars teeter back and forth and he was doing mountain climbers while holding the handlebars teetering on a piece of wood and that i think is the the pro version of mountain climbers. And of course he had to keep his hip and core stabilized and had a, I think a Russian or a, you know, Eastern European core coach, you know, naturally yelling at him while he was completing it. But yeah, I mean, that's such a, a great replication of what it's like to be on the bike, right? Cause when you're on the bike, the handlebars aren't fixed to the ground and stable. They, they are moving a little bit, they can move. And so to be able to replicate and have that core is you know, practice how you play i'll try and actually find that post it's oh, it's probably four years old now or something but um yeah that is the the pinnacle of of your goal and uh, like i said please don't try that don't, first you don't, you're gonna end up with like a broken nose or something yeah and and even if you can manage to move your legs i mean we're not getting the the right training stimulus and, right yeah and you want to start and this is just like building up your progression for your training, right? You start with base and then you build up from there and then you build on top of the base. And like the, in this, the base is doing the stuff laying on your back. It's, it's boring. It's not glamorous, but you got to do it. Yeah. And if you do it every day for three months, then suddenly the mountain climbers are more realistic to do properly. And then, you know, three months later, you get to design your own handlebar, you know, handlebar contraption. Yeah. To, to, you know, emulate Peter Sagan. And, you know, honestly, this stuff also, since we're talking about him, he, you know, he commented about how he felt he couldn't get power out at the end of races. He said, you know, I feel like I have the energy. It's just not coming out on the bike. I can't, you know, finish the job. And he hired a core coach. He, you know, this was the same winter that he did all of these, um, you know, crazy core exercises and he came back and won the world championships three times. So in a row. yeah, yeah. Not just three times, three times in a row. So, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just connecting dots here with this sort of stuff, but it is. I mean, co- correlation, not causation perhaps, but 
certainly something. I think there's to some it. evidence here, and it, it all starts with just the the light core work and the slow progression up to you know more intensity, but with an emphasis on using the correct muscles to achieve the goal. Yep, that's absolutely it, and you know being again precise in how you do it so that you get the desired result. Because if you just want to be sloppy about it, well, don't like why why bother? Just go ride your bike ten minutes longer. Yeah, and well, now we're back to uh, we. It's actually been a while since we talked about this. The idea of focused training, mm-hmm. and are are you going to be the one who takes the time on the ride home to practice? You know, eating with one hand or um, cornering. You know, the last few corners before you get home, or riding without your handlebars a little bit to to get better at that. And are you going to actively work on these skills, or are you just going to you know ride on home and you know go take a shower? Right. And Absolutely. The, the progression of the the two riders, the one who does this little bit of extra work and the one who doesn't, is going to be different in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. Those those little opportunities go a long way, and you're you're going to be on the bike anyhow. So just if you can make the most of it. Yeah. All right, Todd. You got anything else? No, I think that's uh, well. Certainly far from comprehensive discussion of lower back pain. We would be here for quite a bit longer if we were to go down that path. But at least a, a starting point of the common things that cyclists do experience and a, a jumping off point of some things to think about. And uh, if you liked our show, uh, like, subscribe, uh, retweet. Uh, Todd. Whatever, whatever it is that you do. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, just get the word out or... You know, didn't we say this before? If, or, if you don't or, want your, or don't don't share it with your competitors, so you have a competitive know. advantage. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening, Todd. Yeah, until next time. Thanks for listening, and keep the rubber side down.